Hey guys, thanks for being with us today. Uh, I want you guys that are in the room to know, point out some seats. I know I've got texts from some people that are going to be coming in after we're already started, so just kind of point that out. Uh, so let's go ahead and deal with, uh, we're, we're here for the Wednesday Bible Study. If you're new to this, we're in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're in chapter 2. Uh, today we'll be starting in verse 13. Uh, we're going to make our way through the Gospel of John until we're finished. Uh, we don't have any real timeline other than we're going to work through it at the pace that, uh, uh, that feels like uh, God has called us to, to be sure that we glean everything out of this uh, that God is trying to teach us. So if you ever want to go back to other Bible studies, you certainly can. Uh, if, it's, if it's recent, like within the last year, you can find it here on the YouTube channel uh, and also the podcast channel, if that's how you're hearing this now. Uh, if, it goes, if it goes back more than that, then you want to go to BurgessMinistries.com uh, and click on Listen. Uh, BurgessMinistries.com has about three years of the last four years available too. So a couple things. Uh, uh, let's take care of some, some in-house business. Uh, I'm honored to be out and speaking again in October. Uh, October 3rd on my birthday, I'll turn 55 and I'll spend time with the folks at Hunter Street Baptist Church. They're kind of restarting their men's ministry. They're going to kind of implement the man church format and we're going to start that with them coming up. Uh, I'm honored to be there to kick that off. Any of you that are in that part of the world, which is uh, the Birmingham, Alabama area, it's actually in Hoover, uh, you're welcome to join. Uh, uh, anyone can come. There's no ticket needed for that at all. Uh, those details are at rickandbubba.com uh, under the sponsors, I mean under the events. Don't look at the sponsors because it won't be there. Uh, also October the 9th, Tuscaloosa Hillcrest High School. Uh, this will be a FCA event, Fields of Faith. Rich Wingo and I will be there. Anybody who wants to come to that can come. Uh, you don't have to be an athlete. Uh, that is just being put on by Fellowship of Christian Athletes and they will feed you until they run out of food. So if you want to come and be part of that. You can find that at rickandbubba.com under events too. No ticket for that. And then October the 20th, uh, Woodstock First Baptist. I'll be over there, uh, Johnny Hunt's church, uh, and I'll be speaking to their men. They're also doing man church. That'll be coming up on October the 20th. So those are still inside this year and they're coming up next month. So <laughs> want to make you aware of that. And then the 27th uh, will be man church at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And of course, uh, our pastor has been kind enough to give us a new worship center. I'm just kidding. He has. Uh, but anyway, so we'll uh, uh, we'll actually be in our, our normal spot there at the conference center. It starts. We'll, we'll give it to you. Yes, yeah, right. well, I tell you, if we can fill it up, we can have it. Right. So uh, excited about that though uh, to celebrate uh, that that uh, uh, we've been redoing our worship center and first service in that worship center will be this Sunday morning. As if Danny wanted me to tell you because. I probably now have just made a lot of people go. But that's fine. We want you to be there. Come see us. Uh, we are excited about that. But Man Church is Shades Mountain coming up, and we will have Kevin Ham speaking to us from Gardendale, Gardendale First Baptist, and we'll plug in to our Bible studies as well. So those are the things coming up in October, and then coming up uh, toward the end of the year, going into 2020, we have a big announcement that we'll be uh, uh, giving you along this Bible study and, and other places. Uh, just be listening for that as we take the Man Church Discipleship Program and we launch it nationwide uh, on, uh, with, a, with a website and a hub for you to plug this, this format in anywhere you may be uh, in this country or around the world. And we're excited about that and I covet your prayers on that to try to, the team is put together, get everybody in their lane and, uh, and all that goes smoothly. Uh, we're, we're being attacked a little bit right now by the adversary, which that's exciting. That means it's going to go quite well. That's usually a good sign. Uh, so, so, so be sure and pray over us getting through some of those obstacles right right now to get everything done and launch that smoothly before the this year ends. All right, so let's uh, let's now pray. You kind of know all the in-house business that's going on and things you might be interested in as you continue to be discipled. Uh, and we'd love to see you at any of these things, or if you really want to get crazy, see it all up. So uh, let's open up with prayer. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for um, uh, the way that you have unpacked uh, this this today for us to learn a little something about righteous anger. But at the same time, Lord, we take this today and we apply it to our own lives as, as you intended uh, for us to do. I, I'm thankful for the obedience of, of John and, and how he took the time to use his skills and to, to, to be used by you throughout the scriptures, but uh, in his gospel. Uh, and Lord, continue to, uh, for some of us, introduce us to you for the first time, uh, for others to reintroduce us to you. Uh, for those that are somewhere in between to, to help us glean something uh, out of these historical events that maybe we've never seen before. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you continue to change us as only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bible, uh, it is John chapter two. Uh, we'll start in verse 13. And so one of the things you've probably heard this, uh, this has been said before. Uh, if you decide, if, if you go back to, you know, and again, it's not one of my favorite slogans we've came, we came up with, but in the 80s, the famous WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, it, it was probably probably better presented, what would Jesus have me do? Uh, because uh, Jesus' perfection is perfection. Uh, but what, would Je- what did Jesus tell me to do? Uh, is probably a better way to go about this. But, but we also know what, and this is the things that we talk about uh, with, with the discipleship program that we put forward in here. We've come down to the point that says what? If you want to be a man, uh, then follow Jesus. Uh, if you're a man, then, then you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't care uh, you know, how the world may define you as a man. You're not a man. So in this particular account today, we know that if I am trying to be like Jesus, or I'm trying to do what Jesus would have me do, or I'm trying to follow Jesus, turning temple table, tables over is an option. Because that's what he did. So, so there, there is a righteous anger that is not sinful. Now, I, I, will, I will tell you from someone who, who struggles with this a lot is, let's be sure it's righteous. You know, we're not being angry just to be angry. And we certainly don't want to have the kind of anger that is sinful. So we're going to try to see if we can leave here today not only understanding what righteous anger should always be based on, but also uncomfortably looking at our own lives and asking ourselves the question, what are the things in my life that Jesus needs to turn over? Yeah. What's going on in my life that he might be righteously angry about? And uh, so, so we'll look at that as well. So first of all, let's just look at what's happening. Uh, so it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And then we'll, we'll, we'll spend some time on 17. His disciples remembered uh, that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So let's just kind of land there, and, and, and then we'll unpack, and, and then we'll continue. All right, first of all, uh, this, is, um, this is something, as I, I studied the different commentaries, and I'm not saying that this is 100% correct. Anytime you're in commentary, you got to be very careful. Uh, but most people agree by, by the way the timeline is set up in the other three Gospels, when they talk about Jesus turning over the temple tables, that that's a second event. That John is documenting one that happened before that. Now, I'd never, I'd never known that before because I, I thought to myself, this is just John's account of the same thing that Luke is talking about, Mark is talking about, um, and, um, and of course uh, Matthew's talking about. But if you go to those three, they document this the exact same way. And they have Jesus saying something similar, but not exactly the same. And they said, if you look throughout the ministry, John is saying this happened at the beginning of his ministry. The other three are saying they saw this happen toward the end of his ministry. So most scholars and most commentators think that there's two different events where Jesus got angry about what was going on at the temple. And John's telling you about the first one. That, that's not all that important because we're going to take away from it what we need to take away from it. But that was something that I personally had not thought about before. So uh, that is something to consider. Because if you look at his earthly ministry as it's chronicled in, in Matthew 21, 12 through 13, write these down. Mark 11, 15 through 18. Luke 19, 45 through 48. So that's Matthew 21, 12 through 13. I see you looking up again. Mark 11, 15 through 18. And Luke 19, 45 through 48. Y'all always let me know. Some of you emailed me. I've become the guy who doesn't leave the scripture up on the big screen long enough. <laughs> that drives me crazy when I'm trying to take notes. So I'm going to try to slow down sometimes when I throw some of this in so you actually have time to write it down. Nothing that gets me worse for something to come up on the screen. I don't have time to write it down. So I'll try to be slow. But if you look at those three accounts I just mentioned, you'll see if you look at how his ministry is being chronicled, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are talking about a temple event that's at the end. 
And John is telling us that we're, you know, we just finished up the wedding and now we're turning temple tables over. And, and he goes on to talk about the other things in the same timeline that the other three are talking about where they include a second cleansing. And they say the reason why John doesn't include the second one is because they've already covered it. So anyway, so, so that's, a, that's one of those things you say that makes everybody know, hey, he studied a little bit this past weekend. Uh, so anyway, I it's, don't know why that really matters, but I just thought I'd let you know. I'll tell you one thing that matters. Is apparently, Jesus was not afraid to do this more than once if he needed to. So um, sounds like my mom. She was not afraid to tear us up more than once. So, um, so first of all, it tells us why is Jesus there? He's there to attend Passover, the Passover feast. Jewish men were required to attend three annual feasts. There were three they had to attend. Uh, and that was what we're talking about. And, and that's Passover. That's one. That, that was a, you got to be there. Pentecost was the other. Uh, and and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, fe the feast of the tabernacles. They had to go to these three. So Jesus being a good Jewish man, he is, he's going to Passover. Uh, he's coming to the Holy City, just like he's supposed to. Now, what you'll find, and we'll see this throughout our study of John, that Jesus deliberately, because he's trying to make a point, will violate, and we'll see this coming up, anything he considered to be a man-made religious tradition. If he thinks it's an add-on, he'll take that on as we go on. And even on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, you see he takes these things and says, well, they, the law says this. Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, this. And you, so you'll see that coming up. But... The, 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 Jesus obeyed the statutes of the law. He was faithful to always uphold the law in his life and death. When, when that finally happened, now he's fulfilled the law uh, so that we wouldn't be burdened by what, you know, the Acts 15.10 calls the yoke of bondage. Again, write that down again. That's Acts 15.10. And what's that about? The Jerusalem Council. You remember where James has to come in? You know, when you, you, I reference this a lot because I dig this, that James comes in and nobody opposes him, which means they'd opposed everybody else before he got there. And what, what he's trying to do here is saying, hey, guys, we've got to come off the, the yoke of bondage of, of this thing with the law and this man-made stuff. Uh, that, you know, and he's talking about, in this case, the circumcision was not required to the Gentiles. But, hey, Gentiles, y'all got some things y'all got to clean up too. So we know with Jesus, when he lived out that perfect life and he obeyed the law uh, completely, every statute and then when he when he when he lived that life and then he died he paid the price for sin and he rose he's now fulfilled all the law and now the yoke of bondage is gone but then what do we get we get his yoke now and he says his yoke is easy it's not burdensome to be obedient to Jesus Christ now remember grace abusers as we all have been at some point in our life and I hope you're not anymore that doesn't mean there's no yoke it, it doesn't mean that, that Jesus somehow redeemed us and we just continue to live in perpetual sin and never change as if we don't have a yoke at all. No, there's still a yoke. He just said, my yoke is easy because why? He's fulfilled the law. Now, now he is, is running things because he is, he is perfect. So why is he upset about what's going on here? How did this happen? A lot of you may know that, but we're going to repeat it anyway. Many could not bring their own sacrifices. And you can actually see Jesus' uh, earthly parents with the same problem in Luke 2, 22 through 24. See, first of all, you had just the issue of, of I don't have a lot of money to get more than just some pigeons. So they had that. And then a lot of people were having to travel so far to come to the holy city. Now, this is important. Because many things start out this way, and human beings always mess it up. So what happened was that the temple said it would be a great gesture on our part to have animal sacrifices here for those who need them so they don't have the burden of dragging these animals all the way on this long journey to get here. So we're going to make it available to those who are really in that situation. That's important. So, so what happened here is it began to be something that was actually ministry. We're going to minister to these people, and we're going to provide the sacrifice that they need to take this burden off of them. But then, as human beings tend to do, they started working with some of the people there that were the businessmen. And the businessmen got together with the religious leaders, and they said, you know what? This could be a good business here. Why don't we, why don't y'all with your power, instead of just saying this is available to those who need it, why don't you kind of start encouraging that this is a better way to get a sacrifice? How about nobody bring your own? We've got it here for you. 
And let's encourage that. And, and everybody that you encourage to come buy the livestock from us, we'll give you a little kickback. So now it's left ministry and it's become a business. Now, I told you what we need to pray about, about what's going to go out with this launching of this discipleship program that, um, that is going to be a national thing that I know God has called me to. I kid you not, wonderful people, we had a conversation, and this was lined up for me to teach this week by the sovereignty of God. I literally said to one of the people, and I'm, and I'm not putting them in a bad light, it, it, we need to be good stewards of what we're doing. But we were headed down a road with how we were going to set this up. And I said, hey, man, i got to stop you. It's ministry first and business second. We will not set this up as business first and ministry second. I said, I'm reading right now how Jesus feels about that, and he don't like it. And I'm not going to be on the wrong side of Jesus. I've got a day job, okay? And, and, and this is going to be ministry, ministry, ministry. And certainly you can do your part coming from the business world to teach me how to be a good steward with it. But it's not going to be a business. And if, if and I said, first of all, if you're a businessman and you're investing in men's ministry, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay? Because I don't know if you know this, no one else doing it. You know why? They can't make a living at it. So, so there's a reason nobody's doing it. Uh, because Satan has convinced everybody that you and me can't be discipled. They said churches are never going to get serious. They're never going to buy curriculum for men. What do they say? Tell a lay person, go find some books. And so that's the reason why all your curriculum providers don't provide men's curriculum. You know why? Nobody buys it. So, so it, it, we're going to do it because it, it needs to be available to the churches. And I, tell, I said, but if you think you're going you're to make money off this, you're, you're crazy. You've made your money by investing in good business decisions. This is not one. Now, it may be a great ministry decision, but it's a terrible business decision. And, and he really appreciated my upbeat attitude about that. But anyway, so, so be sure and think about this. But anyway, but if you want to come in here and invest in God's kingdom, then hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. So what happened now, now remember that, ministry must always be ministry. Now, does that mean that people can't do ministry for vocation? doesn't mean that at all. It means that better not be the only reason why you're doing it. I would say that Jesus would turn over the temples of these people that go into ministry as a vocation just because they're lazy. They're not called to that. They're not even gifted at it. They just can't think of anything else to do. And they think it'll be an easy job. Now, they're wrong about that if they do it right. But that's their thought. Y'all have met these people. They've never been able to hold a job. And suddenly, magically, one day they're saying, I'm going into full-time ministry. And you're like, did God call you to that? Or you just can't think of anything else? <laughs> Or do you think it's going to be a job that might be easier than actually working out there in the, in the private sector? Now, I'm not saying that about everybody, but we all have seen these people. And I think Jesus comes there and turns their life upside down. He usually does. So this is what he's seeing, because now people are being encouraged to buy their sacrifice, not it's become a need. And then, why well, he's, well, he's pouring the more money out? You know why he's pouring the money out? Guess what happened? The Roman Empire had, had really deemed the Jewish currency to be of little or no value. But the temple tax had to be a shekel. You had to have shekels to pay your temple tax. Well, the money changers went to the religious leaders and said, hey, we'll churn out some shekels for everybody, but let's not give them what a shekel is really worth. They got to have it. So we're all going to make out like bandits on that too. We're going to take your Roman currency. You ever done this when you went into another country? You have to exchange. Come exchange your Roman currency for shekels. But what they were giving them was not even worth a shekel. And see, what was happening is the religious leaders didn't care because guess what they were getting? They get a kickback. So now everybody thinks they're, they're giving the shekel because they have to. And everybody's got to find a sacrifice because they have to. And none of this is ministry anymore. It's just turned into a business. And, and so Jesus is not happy about this at all. Now, here's what's bad about this. And let me tell you why this made Jesus angry as well. Guess who were the people who were the victims in all this? Devout worshipers. They had taken devout worshipers, and they had taken their devotion, and they had manipulated it for their gain. Now, let that, let that resonate a minute. We've seen this, haven't we? I, I'm certainly not the judge for people's eternity that I hear this a lot on cable TV. But what do you hear all the time? People manipulating people's devotion to Jesus. 
Now, they're going to answer to that. I don't know if they'll answer on this side of eternity, but they will answer for that. Because what Jesus would say to them is the same thing that he said to these people. So Jesus was, was he, he, he was saying, look, I'm going to, to get upset about this business, this scam operation y'all set up. But he also was, was taking on and was angry at the attitude of disrespect and the desecration for the house of worship. He's also mad. He said, I can't, I look, y'all, this doesn't even bother you. Think about how many times we hear about that. This doesn't even bother. I think about Paul, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5. And this is one of the things that I think we, we got to get back into the church. There's a way to handle it because we could mess that up too. But I think a lot of times, just like I think what happened to obedience, is the Western church got so sensitive, and which, which could be good. We, just, we can't seem to ever get it right. Man, we need to be less legalistic. Sounds good, doesn't it? Until we escort obedience right out with it. Then we get to where anything goes. You know, we can't seem to find the correct balance. And you won't uh, without the authority of Christ. And so then we start out, well, let's not be too legalistic and too judgmental of people to now we don't have church discipline at all. You know, it's like we're so afraid that we sway one way. And what Paul was saying about the church at Corinth, he said, you got this guy. And what, and what, what I'm angry about, and what God's angry about is not that this guy can't be redeemed. Is that you're allowing him to blaspheme the church. You're, I don't like your attitude that you're allowing him to desecrate the holiness of the church, the bride. He's desecrating the bride. And, and, if, and all of you think you're being so wonderful and so gracious by allowing him to continue to commit these sexual acts as a member of the church that pagans don't even do. And Paul said, if I could get there, I would, I would deal with him. I would throw him out because if we would remove him from the body and turn him over to Satan, and Paul says, I'm praying that Satan takes him over because he might just repent. And so Jesus is, is saying there's a time to look at people not just for, you know, not just for the good of those who are being taken advantage of. That's in here, okay? Not just for their own good, that if you allow people to live in perpetual sin, you really don't love them. But you know what he says? There's also a righteous anger that says, I'm not doing this. You know, of course, he could say that, but he's teaching us. This is not even, a, I tell you what this is also about. You're desecrating my, my father's house. Where's the reverence for, for the temple? And you know another thing I didn't know about this? As this religious market started out as a convenience for the Jews because of what I said, because of their long-distance travel. But then, then, then due time, the convenience became a business, not a ministry. But here's the second part. I didn't even know this, but you got to know how the temple was set up. And I learned this in the commentary. The area where they were doing this was called the court of the Gentiles. You know, now you do, some of you may know enough about that. You know, women could come certain places. Men could go a little bit further. If you were not a Jewish person, you could come into one area, but you couldn't get all the way. There were all these different rules and regulations based on who you were and what your standing in society was and your standing with the temple, how far you could go. And then we get to what? Only the priest and certain priests could go to the Holy of Holies. So there were these different places. They were doing this in the very place they should have been telling the Gentiles about the one and only living God. That was, that, that was a place of what we would call evangelism. This is where the lost people are coming. And guess what they see? A religious market, a business. They were so consumed with stuff in their pockets that they weren't even aware of the Gentiles who needed to be told about the one and only living God. The pagans were right there with them and they were getting nothing. And this also was something that angered Jesus. They should have been pointing them to the, to the one and only living God. And they said, but here they were not likely to find the truth because all they found were a bunch of merchants. And those merchants had no interest in them because why? They don't need to buy anything. They lost. So there was, there was a taking advantage of the devout and ignoring the lost. Man, write that down. That's, that's good right there. <coughs> So, so those two things are in play. So the condition of the temple was a vivid indication 
of the spiritual condition of the nation. Not only, as we learned, I love this commentator who looked back at the wedding. He said, not only had the wine ran out at the wedding, but now God's glory had departed the temple. God's glory had departed the temple. And um, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, turn to the book of Revelation real quick. Turn to the Revelation. We're, we're going to go to chapter 3 in the Revelation. And this, of course, is, is when Jesus is dealing with the different churches. And, of course, we're very familiar with the church at Laodicea. Uh, you can also see reference to God's glory departing the temple in, in, in Isaiah 1. You know, in Isaiah 1, we're not going to turn to that right now, but you write that down. In Isaiah 1, you're seeing that, that God is saying to Isaiah to tell the people, he says, you know what? You come here and you worship me with your lips but your hearts are far from me. And we're going to get into that before we finish today. You, you, you're putting on the show. And he's saying, I don't like this incense. All these rituals you're doing, I know the condition of your heart. And, 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 and I see your, your lack of sincerity. You know, it's like saying, hey, look, y'all got songs cranking in here. You got all kinds of stuff cranking. But if your heart is not with me, then my glory is not here. You know, you've heard the, I told you all the joke many times about the old farmer that came to the, to the big, big mega church. And he came in his overalls and the pastor said, I saw you visiting our church today. Why don't you go back and pray about how Jesus would want you to dress to come to church? So the farmer went back. He came back two weeks later, still had his overalls on. Pastor comes up to him and over and said, hey, I thought we talked about this. Did you not go back and pray and ask Jesus to tell you how you dress when you come to this church? He said, well, I did. He said, well, what did Jesus say? He said he didn't know. He'd never been here. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so, so this is the situation. You know, just because everybody looks like they have a church don't mean they are. Amen, so, so here's what he says, and this is the thing that the church has to be aware of. What, if you look at the church of Laodicea, and you see what Jesus is saying to them, and I'll nutshell it, but I'll hit a few points. He is really saying to them, you are delusional. You think that you're this, but you're really this. See, because I know the condition of your heart. He says, I know your works. Look at 15. I know your works, and they are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so that you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, now we've talked about this before, but some of you are new. This is often misinterpreted, and there's certainly nothing wrong with talking about that, you know, you need to be all in for Jesus, but that, that's not really what he's saying. He's talking about the, use, the, the church being useful. <clears throat> At Laodicea, they were, very, they were very wealthy, so they had access to hot water, which was very abnormal, and so they could, they could deal with hygiene and being clean. They had the hot springs, but they also had access to clean drinking water that wouldn't kill you, which was also... You know, something that people didn't always have. And he says, I wish that you'd be one of these two things. Meaning both of these things are useful. You know, water that is cold and clean is for life and sustenance. Water that is hot is for hygiene and, and cleanliness. He says, but there's only one kind of water that's of no use to me, and that's water that's somewhere in between. So he, think about that. Jesus would never say, some people interpret this as, Jesus says, he, if you're not with him, he wish you'd be against him. But no, he didn't wish that. You either are for him or you're against him. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'll take cold or I'll take hot because those are useful for the kingdom. But what I can't take is somebody that's not useful. I wish you'd decide whether you really are in or not. Be either hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. The cold does not represent being against Jesus. It's okay to be cold water. And it's okay to be hot water. It's just not okay to be lukewarm water. So then he says this, So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, delusional. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me tell you something. If you watch this right now, I don't care how big and wealthy your church is. If Jesus Christ is not there, you're not there to honor him. You're wretched. You're poor. You're pitiful. How about there's places that don't have near your facilities, and they are doing more for the kingdom than you are. Amen. 
That's what Jesus is saying. You better be, you can't be delusional, you know, like, like I've heard my pastor say before, look, if Jesus exits this place, all we got is a spiritual social club. That's right. That's, that's all we got. I'm excited about what our church is doing. We're all excited about that we've redone the worship center. But if Jesus isn't there, this has been a monumental waste of time and money. Amen. It ain't going to mean anything. So we better understand and go in there with our heads bowed and in reverence saying, we are not worthy, but you are. And thank you for allowing us to come into your presence. Because we are wretched and we are pitiful and we are poor and we are blind and we are naked and you're the only thing that makes us worth anything. Somebody say amen to that. So he says, don't be delusional. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may, that may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see to those I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous, hang on to that and repent. Now he's talking to a church. He's telling the church to repent. Just what Jesus is talking about the temple. My father's glory has left this place. And I'm angry and I'm going to do what I have to do to make you understand you got to repent for what's going on here. And he says this. He says what in, in Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me at my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I've heard this preach, and I don't have any problem with it, that this is the, I stand at the door of your heart and knock, and anybody lets me in to save, that's not what he's talking about. You can certainly use it that way, that's fine. You know what he's saying? I'm standing at the door of my church, and I'm knocking. Y'all having church, and I'm not even in there. The temple was going through their routines, but the glory of God was gone. And you know what he says? Who in the church... Who in the church is going to repent? Who in the temple will repent and get up and answer me knocking at the door of my own house and let me back in? Yes. And let me back in. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's a lot of folks going to have church on Sunday, but Jesus ain't there. Amen. Now, I don't know which ones those are. It's not for me to say, but I'm telling you, that goes on. And I've had it happen before. I've gone into church before, have a chance to come speak. <clears throat> Cold. I mean, I, I refer to it like this. Sherry would come home and she'll say, how was that? I said, it's like chopping wood. I was working today. The spirit ain't in that place. And we tried and we banged. I, I, I have gotten up there before and I have, I have been completely poured out. I threw every punch that Jesus has ever taught me. And that place will sit there and they won't move. And you know what I feel from them? Total rejection. Hey, we thought you were coming to entertain us. This is not what we wanted. We didn't want to hear this. Total rejection. And I've literally before, and I've never said this before, I literally before have walked away from where I was, walked to where people couldn't see me and wept. Amen. And wept. And said, so I guess this is how I felt. And that's what Jesus said to me. How do you like that? People reject me all the time. You just do what I told you to do and then wipe your feet from this place and move on. Move on. Now, that doesn't happen every time I go somewhere. Let me be clear. But it does happen. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And you know what Jesus is willing to do? To turn this place upside down if it'll save your life. Righteous anger. I'm angry for the right reason. So see, I understand, especially why I like this in men's ministry, is a lot of times a man is saying, well, Jesus has been presented to me so many times as a hippie, I don't really want to follow him. This is not a hippie right here. I mean, this is a guy, do y'all realize how heavy those tables were? Don't picture the little card table you put up over at Mama's house for the kids' table. I mean, those tables in those days, they were made heavy. And he's turning them over, and he's taking them. Think about this. You're taking people's money. Hey, we all know this. Some of us know it more than we wish we did. You mess with people's money, they'll kill you. They'll kill you. And he's taking their money, and he's dumping it out right in their face. He's not afraid. And what he's doing, he's saying, in this particular case, this is what's necessary. Now, there's times... 
which is what we got to learn from him too. There's times where we're gentle. Jesus always did what was necessary in the moment. So you know what? We don't go turning the tables over over everything. But there is a time to do it. And we need his guidance and his discernment to know when it's temple table time and when it's time to be gentle. And I didn't say passive. I just said gentle. And I'm learning that. I, you know, I'm all in on turning tables over. I need to learn more about being gentle. But he's teaching me. I had a situation on the air just last week where in the past I probably would have gotten emails saying, well, you just really were so mean to that person. And I had more emails saying that was, that was the perfect balance. Encouragers said, hey, you didn't compromise the truth. You took a stand for the truth. This woman was obviously hurting. You acknowledged that. But you didn't compromise, but you were gentle. Now, they still may not like what you say, but, but you're gentle. You don't come across like you're trying to hurt them. But in this case, he's taking on the thing that always angered him. And that's sanctimonious religious people who were saying one thing and living another. The lost are treated much kinder by Jesus than the sanctimonious and the hypocrite. Now, when we claim we're with him and we live some secret life or we've got some deviant heart, he didn't like that at all. It's a whole different game. And I tell people that all the time. People come to me and say, hey, I got a situation. I say, well, I got to know this first off. Is this a person who's lost or is this a person that claims to be a member of the church? Two completely different approaches. You always get that right. That's important to know. When you're handling somebody that's, that's, that's defiantly you know, blaspheming the church, that's one thing. Somebody says, look, I'm lost. I don't know any better. That's different. And we, that's mercy. That's grace. That's gentleness. We certainly don't compromise the truth. But now when you take on someone who's trying to stand in the church and is trying to tell God that, they, that God needs to change to, to accommodate them, that's a whole different game. Or I'm pretending one thing, but I'm living another. That's a whole, and that's what was happening here. So let's look at what he said next. If you look at verse 17, this is important. So what did the disciples say when they saw this? Because Jesus said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And we've explained that. Look at 17. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. You know what they said? This is a sign. Remember what John always calls them, signs. Ooh. In the Messianic Psalm, hey, that this was said, and what we're talking about is Psalm 69, 19. Psalm 69, and look at 19. This is a Messianic Psalm. Uh, it, it, uh, it mentions several times in the New Testament. You'll hear it get referred back to this. And he says that what? If you look at it, t take your Bible and turn there now, Psalm 69. And you'll see in verse 19... This is a messianic psalm. What does that mean? This is a psalm that is looking to Messiah, that is pro prophetic about the coming Messiah. And look at 19 of, of 69. And I thought I had that marked, and here it is. Okay, now I got it. All right. So in verse 19, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are known. Well, I'm in the wrong one, aren't I? Verse 9. Verse 9, I'm sorry, not 19, thank you. Um, I had a, that was not a 1, that was just poor writing on my, on my part. It says in 9, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. For zeal for your house has consumed me. When they see him coming in there, protecting his father's house, you know what they say? There's that zeal we were looking for. That's a sign. He had zeal for his father's house. So we say, did, did Jesus sin by doing this? No. Did Jesus like mercy? No. Does Jesus, is he ill? Is just some guy that's ill and got a temper? No. What we see, he declared war on the hypocritical religious leaders, which would eventually lead to what? They're going to kill him. So he's starting the whole process now of, of being at odds with the religious leaders. Let me tell you who didn't like this little production. The religious leaders, and from they start right now going, this guy's got to go. And that may happen. That may, if you decide, hey, ask John the Baptist. John the Baptist decided I, I, what Herod's doing is wrong, and I'm gonna go out there and point it right out to him. I don't like where he picked up this little chick, and we know how this happened. This this used, this woman belonged to his brother, and he's taking his brother's wife, and he's calling him out. He's saying that sin, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. You're supposed to represent God's people, and this is not the way. And you, you know what happened? They killed him. Yeah, you know why? Because the women didn't like it. He's calling us tramps. 
a rodeo. And I'm going to bring my little daughter in here to dance for you. And then he's going to get his little jollies off that and not do anything. He's got to look big in front of everybody. Whatever you want. And, of course, Mama had that set up asking for the head of John the Baptist. So just because you do what God's called you to do doesn't mean it's going to go well. I got, I got relationships in my life. I'm talking about close relationships. I could, I could fix this situation with one phone call. You know what that phone call would be called? Compromise. If, I'll, if right now I get on the phone or I get in front of them and I compromise Jesus, we'll have a great relationship again. So you, you, you got to, what did Jesus always say? Count the cost. When we, when, we do the, when, we, 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 when we do the launching of the national part of this discipleship program, because I want what's going on in here to be available all over the country, I kept thinking about what do we need? What, do we, what needs to be the theme verse? What needs to be the theme? What do we need, what do we need to do? We kept thinking, be a man. And then we came up with just be a man, follow Jesus. Luke 9.23. And you know what the first thing it says? Deny yourself. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. Count the cost. I, I'll never, I, I want to shoot men straight. If you decide to follow Jesus, it'll cost you everything. It will certainly cost you your sin. I don't know what's going to cost you, but, 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 but it really could. And, and, and like I say, I think men like knowing that really to follow Jesus is actually, actually very difficult. So the next thing we see is now him giving the prophet, uh, prophecy about himself. So look at verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Hey, where do you get the authority to come up in here, turn their tables over, pour our money out, and start saying we've desecrated the house of God? Where do, where do you get this authority? And so Jesus, now remember, they're always asking for a sign, which that, that's okay. They have the right to ask for a sign. And most of the time you'll see throughout the New Testament, he refused it. If the religious leaders asked for one, he wouldn't give them one. And what would he say? He would say, I, you, you, I'm not giving you any sign except for the sign of Jonah. Remember him saying that all the time? I remember the first time I read that. What does he mean? But why is he going to the whale story? Well, it, it's, it's, it's a death and resurrection story. He says, through the sign of Jonah, this means there will be a death, there will be a burial, and there will be a resurrection. And that, that's what he referred to as the sign of Jonah. So he, he's talking about when he says to them, look, this time he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Now we all know this statement was used against him from now on. Whoa, this is people, he's crazy. It, it took us 48 years to build this. You're going to raise it up in three days? Remember even before in the back, and it gets down to I'm going to the crucifixion, they keep bringing this up and mocking him with it. This is the one that said you tear down the temple, you build it back in three days. He's probably of the devil. Well, we all know that Jesus was not talking about the building. The Jews said then it took 46 years to build this. I said 48 temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. See, John, John tells us, when therefore he, he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So what he's doing, he's saying, now listen, this is really deep. And this is exciting. Because this is God as a man. You know what he's telling everybody? This temple system, it's over. I'm the temple. I'm the temple. All sacrifices are done in me. And what's going to happen is y'all going to take this temple and you're going to destroy it. And I'm going to raise it back up in three days. And we're going to get to John talking about, don't you love when he said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it of my own accord. Talking to Pilate, like Pilate was in charge of whether Jesus was going to live or die. I love when Pilate, Jesus said, hey, we got to correct this right now. You don't have any authority over me. The only authority you have right now is allowed to you by my Father to accomplish what we're doing. I will lay down my life and what? I'll raise it back up again. You don't have any authority over me. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. Jesus was in charge all the way to the cross and all the way out the other end of the tomb. And he says, you know, they continue to mock him about that when he predicted about this. But he said, uh, and they got angry. Now, when he says that, you know, that the temple is going to be destroyed, they didn't like that. Of course, it, it would be. They, they didn't like that. By the way, I've been to Israel. It ain't there. 
And, and it was one of the conversations I had with a, with a Jewish man about Messiah. And I asked him the question, if Messiah has not come, where's the sacrifice? Well, I mean, y'all should still be rolling. I, I see you over here, you know, bowing. I was respectful. But I said, I see you praying to a wall, a wall that's left and stuffing prayers in it. But that's not what God required. God didn't say come to the wall and stick prayers in it. He said if you want to be atoned from sin, you start bringing these animals. If Jesus has not fulfilled the law, it should be going still. Where is it? He says, well, we try to do good things. I said, when did that change? And they've invented these religious days where they try to see, try to see if they can do enough good things to be forgiven. And I said, well, how do you know if you've been good enough? And what's, what gets me about a lot of them, especially the Orthodox Jews, they won't do anything on the Sabbath, but they'll let a Gentile do it for them. So I guess if we go to hell, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, when, they get, when you get to the point where you won't push an elevator button because you think that's work, Jesus will take on the whole Sabbath deal, speaking of things that he did not abide by. But anyway, so the temple's not there. So Jesus is saying the reason why it's not there is because I have done it. There's no need for the temple anymore. And so you hear, you hear talk about temples and synagogues. Temples, there was one temple. But the synagogues were places that were all over the regions, and they were there for you to learn the law and to be taught. The modern-day church is, based, is designed more like a synagogue than the temple. It's a place where you go and learn. It's where you go and you find out about what we do now is we, you go and, and worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, so really the church age really looked to the synagogue as more of a, a starting place than the temple because the temple wasn't needed anymore. And, and I'm not trying to be offensive if you're someone who hasn't made that decision yet, but that is a, a fair question because Jesus, what he's actually saying right here, he says this is going to be the end of the Jewish religious system. Because I'm the final sacrifice. Amen. I'm the final sacrifice. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So then we'll, we'll end with this. So Jesus in 23. So now when, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And we'll come back and explain that. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Don't forget that. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Whew. I, 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 hope we, I hope we got that. So first of all, by John's account, it is clear that going in and turning the temple tables over and, and pouring out the money and, and saying they were desecrating the temple, that's not all he did. He went on to do other signs even during the Passover. That's obvious by what he's saying. And remember, signs, he always calls them signs. He's, he's very careful for this reason about using the word miracles. So this was Passion Week, and, and this, this brought out what we have a lot. Kyle Edelman wrote a tremendous book about this. I don't know if you've ever read it, called Not a Fan. It is a great book. And what Kyle Edelman is, uh, is taking on is exactly what Jesus is saying here. You know what he picked up with the signs? A lot of fans. Mm -hmm. We're fans of Jesus. We don't follow Jesus, but we're fans. We think he's pretty cool. And, of course, Kyle Edelman in his book said, I'm not a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah. You know, fans are for football teams. Fans, Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And so what happened here is that he had picked up a lot of fans. People get on the bandwagon. I tell you, did you see that sign he did? That's impressive. So now we're following around like he's P.T. Barnum and, and has a circus going on. And so what they, were, what they were following, they were not submitting to the lordship of the Son of God and the Son of Man. He knew their hearts. And you know what he knew? That a lot of these human hearts actually lean towards sensationalism, not submission to his authority. They thought he could do really cool things. I don't want you to forgive me of sin. I want you to make me see because I'm blind. I don't want you to forgive me of sin and have eternal life. I want you to get me where I can walk. Hey, here's another crippled guy. Go tell him to get up. And you, you saw this happening a lot, and Jesus dealt with it the same way every time. You know, the, and this was a line, I, and I can't remember which commentary this was from because I'd love to give this person credit, but it is a great line. The same events, oh, this is good. The same events that open some eyes 
caused others to be blind. What a great line. So sometimes when he was making a blind person see, a person who didn't understand who he was and didn't love him in his heart, it actually made them blind because they, just seek, they were just seeking after the miracles and seeking after the signs. And you still see this today. And remember I told you, always be leery of this. The feeding of the 5,000, a perfect example of this. I mean, he just fed 5,000 people with some fish and a few loaves. And you know what they wanted to do? Make him king. And he left. He left. And the disciples come over and said, hey, everybody's really fired up. I mean, this, this was, they want to make you king. And of course, they were for that because they thought they're going to overthrow the Romans. Because they, they still didn't have it right yet. Remember one time he healed some people and they kept saying, there's a lot of sick people still back here. And what do you say about the feeding of the 5,000? This wasn't about feeding 5,000 people. They're just going to be hungry again. I was trying to show you that just as my father sent you manna from heaven, he sent me. I'm the bread. Y'all missed it. I'm the bread. I'm showing you as, that, as this bread was never ending and this food was never ending that, that I fed you to make you full. I'm the bread of life. Consume me and never be hungry again. Amen. You missed it. See, all they said was, you ain't going to believe this. This little kid, I, how many loaves do you think he had? I don't know. And you know how people exaggerate. By the time they were done with the kid, had a half a loaf. As if three loaves was not miraculous enough. You know what I mean? Or six loaves, or I mean it was. So, so everybody will exaggerate. Hey, you don't have to exaggerate this. And we have 5,000 men, which meant we probably had 10, 15,000 people. And he took a little boy's basket and fed everybody. That's good enough. You know what? But what he was saying is, I'm trying to show you that I am who I say I am so that you'll receive me as the bread of life. And so we have to be very careful because if you get into a kind of faith that misses the teaching of the bread of life, and all you're focusing on is the bread, you're just going to be hungry again. Think about it. Think about anything in your life that you thought, man, that's as good as it gets. It doesn't take very long for you to go, what are we going to do next? You know, you would think, man, if I saw a miracle like that, I'd never be the same. Yeah, you would, if you didn't acknowledge Jesus for what he was really saying. Because the only thing that's going to change us forever is Jesus the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus, the miracle worker, you know what you say to him after he's done one? Somebody's sick again. What, 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 about, this, what about this problem I'm in? Hmm? Are you going to get me out of this one too? No, I, I've done. The cross was it. The cross was it. Now, do I still do miracles? I certainly do. But I hate to bring this one up, but we'll get to it because it's a biggie. Lazarus, he just died again. He just died again. The blind guy they could see died. The sick people that got healed still died. So these things were just done in a moment to, for him to be glorified. What we better be concentrating on is what he did on the cross and what he did when he walked out of the tomb. Amen. And we say, now that's the miracle. Because I'm not, I, I'm not amazed at all about bad things happening. That doesn't surprise me at all. What I'm amazed about is that more bad things don't happen. I'm amazed that God hasn't wiped us off the face of the planet. Amen. No, the cross is what's amazing. Walking out of the tomb is what's amazing. Saying, repent, and you'll be forgiven. Now, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's more amazing than any sign or miracle that Jesus ever did. Because he's already done the biggest one. Is that it? That's that he has made you and I, we've been taken from dead to alive forever. Forever. So now that that's been done, that, that we have to now face this. He said, when people want his works but not his words, they'll never truly share in his life. When people want his works but not his words, They'll never share truly in his life. Because when it comes to encountering Jesus, you know what is not an option? Neutral. I'm just kind of somewhere in between. I'm neutral. 
So what we take away today is we certainly see Jesus is extremely serious about the house of worship not being desecrated. He's serious about you not letting what was once a ministry turn into a business. Don't lose why you're here. Okay? Don't, don't, don't ever get to the point where you don't understand what coming together and worship and going into the house of the Lord. It's not about legalism, but you go in there with reverence for Him to be the center of everything that's going on. I don't know how to break this to some of us, but, but what's, what's going to be planned on the Lord's day? And, and what we declare to be His house, where we all go to worship, wherever that may be. This is not and should not be planned for you and me. When people say, I just didn't get anything out of churches today. Well, that's on you. It's not on the pastor. It's not on the worship leader. It's not on how everything was set up. Because you should have gone in there seeking the Lord. You mean to tell me that somebody, look, I, look I'm not some great teacher, but I can open this up. And because it's so wonderful, you know what? Y'all going to get something out of it because of what's here. Amen. This is inspired by him. Right. And you mean to tell me there's somebody that can open this up, be obedient to what it says, and you didn't get anything out of it? Well, you know what? That, you, you came there with the wrong attitude. You know what you came there? You came there expecting you to be worshipped. Not for, not for the Lord to be worshipped. How many times are you going to sit in the house of the Lord, by the way, in your pew and demand that the, the church do something else for you? When are you going to do something for the church? You know, are you going to be one of these people? Well, somebody needs to. Well, what about you? Look, I was guilty of this. I barked in there saying, we need to start a men's ministry. You know what I got? Show us that you're serious. Then do it. Somebody needs to do something about men's ministry around here. And you know what God said? Well, then why don't you do it? I'm like, oh, no. I'm going to have to get my hands dirty. I like going to these cities and upsetting everybody and leaving. <laughs> no, no, this time you're going to disciple people and you're going to spend some time and invest in people. You're not going to hit and run. And I didn't want to do that because I needed someone else to do that. But you know what he said? No, you're going to do it because it's not about you. Rick Warren hit it out of the park on the purpose-driven life by starting off from the very beginning. Here's what you've got to understand to begin with. It ain't about you. It's about him. The church doesn't need to put together a bunch of programs to make you happy. They need to put together a bunch of programs to point you to Jesus. And he's serious about that. Don't ever let ministry turn into a business. You know what he's serious about? Don't come after me seeking signs and wonders. So he says he knows the heart of a man so let's, be, let's get real on that one. So all these people pretended they were all in, right? But Jesus said he knew who was really all in and who wasn't. So when Jesus looks at your heart and he looks at my heart, he knows the heart of a man. What does he see? Does he see us chasing after him like he's some kind of celebrity? Chasing after him because it makes us look good? Or does he know that in our heart, if the disciples were to ask him, and let's say we're standing there, put you there, I'm going to stand there with you. And the disciples said, oh, you said you know the heart of all these people. And Jesus said, yes, I do. You don't have to tell me who's in and who's out. That's what he's saying. Y'all don't have to tell me, I know. Because they were always willing to try to make that call for Jesus. You know, they got it wrong a lot of times, like with the children. They were certain that the children should leave him alone, and they didn't have that right. So Jesus said, I know the heart of everybody here. And all of a sudden, the disciples looked over and they pointed to you and me. Jesus, and they said, Jesus, what about those two? Would he say, devout? Or would he say, I don't really know them. I see their heart. They're not in. Which one would it be? Let's take that away. And, and if the answer is, you're not sure, well, maybe Jesus needs to turn over some tables in your own life. What are some things that if Jesus busted up in your life, he'd turn over and pour out and say, this desecrates me and my Father? If they need to be turned over, go ahead and turn them over before he does and submit to his authority. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the example you've shown us. Thank you for the conviction 
of this message. And Lord, I do pray that you be glorified by every single life represented here. And I know today, Lord, there's people that are in the room, there's people that are watching, people that are listening, that they're evaluating their relationship with you, and something needs to be done. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them in with the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, that today would be the day they would submit to your authority. So then you would look into their heart from this day forward and say, that one is with me. That one is seeking redemption, not miracles, not signs. That one will never desecrate the house of worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.